Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. How you treat someone is really important. And again, I think there's been this unique bubble of like the younger generation has come in saying, look, don't talk to me that way. The older generation's going, yeah, you know what? You're right. We never should have. I'll fix it. Like, that's sort of where I am. And now this other piece is coming around the world and what's happened in the last two years to just sort of kind of make us all go, particularly in sales. You know, we're always a free agent. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Richard Harris. Richard's the founder of the Harris Consulting Group and co-founder of Surf and Sales and the Surf and Sales Podcast he's co-host of. And Richard's joining me today along with Howard Brown. Howard is the founder and CEO of Ring DNA. He's also a licensed therapist because this is a great panel to have to talk about mental health and sales. Today is the first of a number of conversations we're going to have this month in May on this show about mental health and sales or perhaps more accurately, mental health in sales. In our conversation today, Richard shares some of his personal story about his mental health and why he's become so passionate about this topic. And then we dive into the details of some recent survey data on mental health and sales. Fresh off, the, fresh off the surveys, and quite honestly, look, the results aren't good. For instance, just one Teaser, 75% of sellers report feeling stressed or very stressed. So, look, I mean, people are unable to perform at any level when they're so stressed out, let alone perform at higher levels. So, we're going to talk about the impact of this on sales, on the individuals involved, and much, much more. But before I get to Richard and Howard, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. You know, just talking to my daughter and her friends, the the amount of depression and anxiety with young people, mm. um, with older people, with with employees is is off the chart. You're seeing uh, yep. a lot of you're seeing a lot of suicide attempts in in teenagers. They're doing a lot of cutting, eating disorders. Um, I think we're all yep. experiencing a lot of isolation. Um, which obviously yep. leads to disconnection and ultimately feelings of loneliness. I would love to just talk about, you know, the depths of that and sort of how we're all experiencing that in a different way right now. And, sure. you know, what are ways to, you know, what, what are ways that you have seen to sort of overcome uh, yeah. those feelings of desperation and, and despair and, you know, the things I miss the most are human contact. Like yeah. we're doing this Zoom stuff, but I, I gave my mom a hug for the first time in 13 months. It's crazy. It's yeah, I, no high fives, no handshakes, no hugs, no sitting down. Like that's the stuff that it just leads to harder and harder, isolate, harder times, more isolation. So love to talk about that and yeah. um, well, anything we else. Will. Let's, let's just, let's just keep going. So. I mean, we'll sort of formally say, Richard and Howard, welcome back to the show. Both of you, uh, Howard, it's not like you ever leave. You're, you know, here. But uh, Richard, good to see you again. Always a pleasure. I'm really glad to to be here and excited to talk about this stuff. And uh, I've got some some research and data stuff that I can share too that that we collected um, along the way. 
when when the time track. Well, I thought that'd be a great way to to frame the conversation. So start there, which is with the. Well, wait a the minute, fine. Andy. Before we start there, what do you mean I never leave? Am I like a fungus that doesn't go away? <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Well, <laughs> hey, you're the boss. You yeah. This is this is you know, <laughs> You have the open door. Anytime you want to come in, you're you're yeah. in. So. You're the boss. I just I just fortunate enough to hang out with the likes of you and Richard. That's Thank for you. sure. Very uh, complimentary. I don't know about that, but yeah. Thank you. Um, so, um, so, Richard, tell us about this, some survey work you've done recently about mental health and sales, because it it was uh, sobering to say the least. Yeah, um, it was done uh, with the Sales Health Alliance and Uncrushed, which is a nonprofit that I work with specifically in sales, um, and we got about. As of last count, it was about 750 respondents. So we felt like we got a pretty good swipe of data. Um, we also, people were comfortable enough to, in an anonymous way, to share some things around age and orientation and mm -hmm. uh, race. So we are going to be able to sort of splice this, we hope. Um, we haven't, it's, you know, it's going through the machine right now, right? So we don't have all of it sure. put out. But, you know, it'll, it'll be nice to, to see that and, um so anyway, so uh, AAISP helped us, and so did Sales for the Culture, where if you don't know that, it's a, it's a sales group uh, to support African-American and black people in the sales world, because there's just not a lot of, lot of them, and they don't have necessarily have a community. So um, that being said, so here are the things that we got out of the survey. 58% uh, of respondents rated their overall mental health as either fair or poor. So, you know, we're sort of, you know, 60% of people are, yeah, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're surviving, right? Um, well, eh, eh, at best. This, this is the one that really got to me. 75% said their overall stress level uh, was feeling stressed or highly stressed. So we're all carrying this tension mm -hmm. around, right? Like, I think, you know, it, it, it's nice to have this. It's sad that we are there, right? And it would be interesting to see what this is like maybe a year from now if it's, you know, still, still this, you know, this, this, uh, disturbing, um, the ones that we like, cause we talked a lot about work stuff were, uh, only 40% of respondents agreed or strongly agreed that they could be open and vulnerable about how they were feeling at work. So 60% didn't feel they were comfortable in their own job environment. Right. Um, you know, which again, you know, you know, just you want to build a supportive world. I'm going to stop there because I can go through all. I can go through things like sleep quality and uh, their sales target. Like I got all this data I could do, but I'm going to spew it all. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll dissect these three. I think. Yeah, let's let's go on these three because I think that would be uh, enough here that we'll have time wise for today. But yeah, it's it's this last one. Not to start with the last one, but. You know, clearly, there's still such a huge stigma that people feel around being able to talk freely yeah. about how they feel. Yeah, it, it's it's unfortunate, and it's one of the reasons that I um, always enjoy talking to Howard anyway. But um, you know, he and I bonded a lot over sort of the the mental health and the stress, and you know, Howard has a, a educational background in it as well as life skills in it, and then to be the CEO of a company, he gets it. So that's why I've always sort of bonded with Howard over it. Um, I think it's getting better. I think more of us are talking about it, but it is unfortunate. Is this something that sort of, I don't know, I mean, do companies sort of contribute to this? I mean, it seems like that's, is it the individuals that people just uncomfortable or, I mean, because, yeah, you look at, there's still, and this is a nationwide problem, is, you know, that we as a, as a country yeah, we don't prioritize services for mental health care, whether it's you know, employer-paid health care or whatever. I mean, is that sort of what seeps through so people just feel like they can't talk about it? You know, it's interesting. I, my, As you both probably know, the first company I started was a company called ForTherapy.com back in 1997. And the premise of that was that two-thirds of the American public, according to the American Psychological Association, at some point in their lifetime had suffered from major depression or an anxiety disorder. But the majority of people had no idea where to look for help. And so we created a marketplace, a network of connecting people with dis disparate conditions or concerns with 
either free resources or paid resources that could help them out. There's always been a stigma with mental health. You simply, and certainly things are getting better, um, but you know, it, it wasn't too long ago where you simply wouldn't ask your neighbor or friend or coworker, do you have a good therapist to recommend for me? <laughs> I'm still not sure they do, right? <laughs> yeah, in most parts of the country, you probably couldn't get away with that even today. Right. Certainly, so, I think, so there's a couple of thoughts that I can share on that. Is, you know, my parents, you know, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. My parents split around 1980. And I remember when they got divorced. We lived in Macon, Georgia. It's about 85 miles south of Atlanta. Um, they ended up going to Atlanta to find a, a, a family counselor in the 80s. Now, what I don't know was, was there nobody in Macon? I mean, we were a town of 100,000 people. We weren't, you know, you know, we weren't really small. Or were they too embarrassed to have someone locally know that they were going to a therapist, right? So that's one thing. I can tell you that when I had my, you know, my moment of clarity, um, when I, I woke up in the bed one day just frozen, I was living in San Francisco, um, you know, my mom asked if I wanted a therapist. I said yes. And then I asked my parents, you know, will you pay for the therapy? And I did. I was afraid that if I used my health insurance for it, it would get back to my job and that I could then get fired. You know, this is long before HIPAA. This is, in, you know, this is around 2000. So, um, well, I think that fear still exists. Yeah, totally. Sure. I, I totally, yeah. I, and, and, you know, through my journey, you know, my wife always reminds me, she's like, you know, Richard, you're, you're, you're way further in your journey than a lot of other people. <laughs> what you find so comfortable is still massively uncomfortable. And so I have to be mindful of that. Like, um, but uh, but I do think the generations are changing it, though, right? Like I see this, you know, with the millennials, you know, their their causes of anxiety and stress um, might are still similar to ours. The technology is just surrounding it in a different way. But they're still feeling stressed. They're stressed about work or loneliness or all. You know, that's, those things haven't been those things haven't changed. You know, since you know Mesopotamia, I don't think. I, I would just add that. Look, I think. While technology has certainly helped in many ways to to connect us, it's also, as we all know, it's it's really created a lot of disconnection. It's created. Well, that's what the, I was referring to is that there's this technology piece where where millennials can you know and, and everybody it's not millennials but where they've just grown up to the phone being in the hand, right? And yeah. um, you know that's not their fault, right? Like you know you get to blame the parents for that. Yeah. You let me have a phone too soon, all those kinds of things, but. Uh, it's ca it's caused some its own its own struggles, which is very different than what I went through, right? Sure, but what I what I would also say is that technology, as it is today, gives us the the false sense that we're actually more connected with people than we are. And while we, you know, we may look at their Instagram photos or mm -hmm. even get a sense of what they're like on Facebook, that's really not a conversation. I've talked to my daughter, for example, and asked her, hey, have you been talking to your friends? Her version of talking is talking Texting. at them or, yep. or Snapchatting or something like that. And I think what we're all experiencing pandemic-wise and, and just technology-wise is disconnection with others and disconnection with ourselves because there's so much pressure to be things that you may not be. And there's so much pressure to look a certain way and to hit a number or to excel at work that we're feeling more and more isolated and support is so critical and, and having a network of people where you can connect and openly discuss. So your, your statistics, Richard, about people feeling more depressed in the workplace and, and not as safe talking to others about what they're going through. Well, half of my employees I've yeah. never met in person. It, it, it makes it that much more difficult to connect with people over Zoom. And I haven't had lunch. I haven't had a drink. I haven't been in the office and just been able to sit down with people. So, of course, we're all feeling more disconnected. Of course, uh, you know, we don't feel safe in the workplace. We haven't built the type of relationships I think, I that agree. matter. I think, we're gonna just, 
I think we're going to kick Andy off because we just keep taking over the show. Andy, you don't even have to ask us questions. Like this is your easiest episode. So, but I, I well, yeah, I'll just I'll just turn my video off. But well, I was going to ask I was going to ask a question about Howard though. So in this environment though, so how do you when you haven't met people when you haven't formed these relationships when everybody is remote? How do you let someone know that? Yeah, it's it's safe to talk about these things, or this is a resource or a person you can talk to. I mean, how how do we compensate? Because this is not going away anytime quickly. I mean, we're still going to be fractionally remote, some large portion of the workforce. How do we yeah. create a culture that that encourages people to talk about this? Well, I, and I think that hopefully we're we're doing just that at Ring DNA. But when I think about relationships, it's really based on trust and and connection. And so for me. How I feel safe with others is by, first of all, opening up. If I can be vulnerable and open up with them, it provides an environment where they can feel safe to open up as well. And I think that 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 is the most important thing is finding a place where you do feel safe, that you can open up, that you're not going to be shamed or embarrassed and the only way to create that is by being somewhat transparent yourself, being mm-hmm. vulnerable and creating an environment where, look, we're human beings, which means we we make errors. We make mistakes all the time. And if we don't beat ourselves up, but we grow and we learn and we support each other through it, then we're able to create an environment where people are actually connecting, where they're being vulnerable, where they're able to have trust and take risks. And I think that is so paramount to connecting with one another. And in the same way, it's connecting with your buyers, right? As salespeople, your job is to connect with them, understand. And and if you lead with talking about your own vulnerability or your desire to be held, whatever it is, it's connecting at that core human level, building trust so that you can connect and be helpful together. Yeah, I, I agree. There's actually there's actually a data point I did want to bring up that we that we got. Um, this is in the last six months. This was a question around the last six months. Fifty two percent of the respondents either agreed or strongly agreed that they felt supported by their leader or manager, which for me was a little bit of good and bad. I was like, okay, that's better than what I thought. Mm-hmm. And really, only fifty two percent. Like only half the leaders are doing it. Well, the question. So. Right. What dire- what direction is that trending? And is that trending up or trending down? Yeah, that's that's where we're going to keep going through that through that for the next year or so. But um, but it, it is about that support, and it's about leading with vulnerability. And for me, you know, it's up to the leader to lead with the vulnerability to build that into the culture. Right. It's it's you know it's up to Howard to share an experience. Right. It's up to Howard to encourage that. And Andy, for you too, I mean, you're both veterans in life and sales and, and, you know, you guys have a lot to offer and can show people that it's okay. Um, you know, it, it's very interesting and, in, and, in, in how we, you know, do that and don't do that. So it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation. Yeah. Well, it's one of the things we're trying to do with this program is, is highlight these, these issues and have these conversations so that, you can try, at least in our own ways, help destigmatize some yep. of this. So we're people on the show. We've talked about addiction issues and substance abuse and so on. It's all sort of part and parcel. Is and you look at organizations like Salesforce that have you know created these internal organizations, Soberforce, yep. that you know are there to empower and enable people to have these conversations and get the support they need, which are so important. Without stigmatizing. Yeah, it's interesting. I, w- I did a session yesterday on Clubhouse uh, with the former SVP of business development at American Express. She'd been there 27 years and she built their whole sales team globally. Right. And it was, so that was all done remote. And we asked like, what, what did you guys do? How did you build those connections? And she said, you know, one of the best activities were uh, anytime you do something on zoom with a pet, everybody shows up, bring your pet to the zoom meeting for 30 minutes. That's a good one. Another one was, um, the kid picture, like bring in your high school picture or whatever, like have, you know, which is all, this is all vulnerable. This is all stuff that has nothing to do with work. And then she said one of the other great ones was um, everybody has to bring a piece of paper and some crayons because everybody's got crayons around the house and they have to draw a picture of their favorite moment from the week. And it doesn't have to be work. It just, whatever they felt like. And it was, so it was a way to like 
is crayon. Like it brings back this kid environment. It helps you sort of express yourself. And I was like, you know, one, I was like, well, those are great ideas. And then I was like, holy shit, American Express. Like, that's cool. They get it, you know, which was not what I would have thought, right? I would have thought they were all sort of buttoned up, you know, Wall Streets. So it was, it was interesting. Well, I think, isn't that part of the problem, though, is that we tend to think that tech is so leading edge in so many respects, and it really isn't, especially when it comes to some of these things like uh, we're talking about here today. I mean, so you said 75% of respondents, right, their feeling of stress is being stressed or highly stressed. Yeah. I mean, what, in your opinion, Richard, what's sort of the biggest causes of the stress today? Oh, God. I mean, it's... yeah, no, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot of them. Um, I also think that as a society, particularly in America, uh, we're so heightened right now between, you know, what happened in politics, what happened with social justice, what's happening um, with the economy, um, the COVID, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the, the uh, politicization of whether or not you're going to get a vaccine, like you know, it, we're so heightened at this stage that everything throws us off, right? So I think that now, couple that with, you know, I'm now a stay-at-home mom. Maybe I'm a single stay-at-home mom. My kid's seven years old and trying to do distance learning. Like, right. like I've got two kids. Like, mine are 11 and, and 12. And it's like, I could not imagine if I'd have had a three, four, five, or six-year-old, seven-year-old kid trying to do distance learning. Um, then you have, you know, the, you know, the work from home, uh, which is good, but it also has forced us, or I wouldn't say forced, it's encouraged us to work longer hours, right? Um, sure. Encouraged us to, okay, so I'm going to do this with school. Okay, so from seven to nine tonight, now I got to get back and get to that email, right? Um, I think that's what's been coming through. I think the goals has always been a challenge for salespeople, um, I'm, I'm leery of good goals and bad goals and stretch goals and COVID goals. Um, I've got a couple of clients where their company's actually looking at 2021 to make up for what they missed in 2020. It's like, it's not, it's kind of like, you know, in my mind and look, there were plenty of businesses. You guys may have been one of them, you know, ring DNA may have been one of them that, that this worked out well for, right? Like, you know, people, the digital transformation helped, um, but I got a lot of companies where they're like, they think they can go back and just put that pressure on the salespeople. And, uh, and I'm like, what, what, what did, did, what, have you not learned anything? Like, what have you been paying attention to? Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, I'm, gonna, I'm so I think it's all those things that are adding on to it. Um, you know, and, and so it's, it's just been piled on for the last 18 to, it's probably been piled on for the last 24 months, starting with the, with the election and politics. And then it just kind of kept going. <laughs> Right, which I think we all realize, right? Like for for twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what I'm what I'm really happy about is that more and more companies are recognizing the importance of mental health and providing mental health benefits and having HR services or um, just recognizing that there's more to employees than just the job, the, the productivity that they, that they bring to the organization, that you know, culture and, and vulnerability and, and focused on well-being is, is, is really, really a nice movement. And, you know, I, you know, you go back 30, 40 years, I mean, none of that exists, right? Like you had to have a union that even would step in for people that, you know, you're working too many hours at 16 hours a day or whatever it is. So there, there is nice progress. There is some progress. It's way, way too slow. No doubt about it. Um, you know, May is mental health awareness month and, you know, we're doing a lot. Andy's doing a bunch of shows in recognition of mental health awareness. But I think what's really important is you're not alone. None of us are alone. We all suffer from different forms of anxiety and depression and stress. We're impacted by uh, whether we eat too much or eat too little or our sleep, we're not exercising, we're, we're struggling with our parents, our, our children, our spouses, 
there are real struggles that all of us are experiencing and it's magnified through this period. We're all stuck in an environment. We've lost freedoms and yet we still have more and more responsibilities. So that is a that is a recipe for disaster and and more mental health challenges and we continue to medicate and we continue to you know do all these things for the quick fix and look I'm not against medication I think it's it's a miracle that we have medications that help people I use people. it daily um, so I'm I'm down with it Yeah it is it is it is game changing life saving and wonderful and it is a piece of the puzzle and and the other pieces are finding a community a network that can be supportive of you it is being open and vulnerable about your problems it is talking to professional help it is reaching your hand out and helping another person because a lot of people forget that when you suffer from low self esteem when you when you're suffering from your own anxiety depression alcoholism the way to help yourself is to reach out and help somebody else because it gives you that sense of value it gives you a sense of worth and we forget about that piece but that piece is the piece that ultimately realigns our thinking to we're not that bad and and we can be an active productive positive member of society. So, you know, on top of everything else, be there for somebody else. It feels really, really good. And it's one of the easiest things you can do is literally just reach out to someone, ask them how they're doing today. Shut up. I know that's hard for all of us, but shut up and listen. Just be a mirror, reflect what they're going through. Let them know that you've experienced it too. If it's something you've experienced, like, let's get back to being there for one another. And, and, and it, we're living in a selfie society where it's all about look at me, look at me, look at me. It's killing us. Let's, let's look out for others. Let's reach out to others and let's see how they're doing. It's like a good summation if we we're going to be finishing right at that moment. Um, it's fantastic. So, but a question that's sort of going back to the sales and stress. I mean, is it, the numbers I've seen is that, you know, the levels may have risen 25, 30%, but we're still talking about a majority of sellers, I would envision, are still feeling stressed or highly stressed at any one time. Is it is it regardless of sort of setting aside the current external stresses that exist? Is it possible to run a sales organization without stress? It's a really good question. Um, you know, anything that's a meritocracy, right, which is what sales is, will bring a certain level of stress, right? Whether it's sports, sales. Where, you know, anytime you're trying to get better, there's going to be a certain level of stress. I think what's different now and Howard, Howard was talking about is that, you know, you can acknowledge that stress. You know, I, was, I had a conversation. It used to be, hey, and I used to say this. I used to say, hey, you know what? You know, the cool thing about work is, you know, you can leave all that life stuff behind you at the door. You can come in and focus on this and this will be you're your right. good part of the day. And it's like, what, what an asshole I was. Like, really? Like, you know, like, you know, ultimately it's kind of like if you really want to lead with empathy in sales, which it seems to be the big buzzword and authenticity, then you need to come complete and whole as who you are in yourself. And leadership has to understand that. Right now, I'm not saying that, you know, someone whose cat died gets, you know, four days of bereavement. I get it. Like there's there's a balance there. But, you know, find the balance. Don't pretend like it doesn't exist. Um, so I don't think you can run a sales team without stress. I don't think you can have a successful anything without stress. And there are healthy amounts and there are unhealthy amounts. And, you know, you know, Dr. Howard could probably tell us better what that <laughs> that is. Well, I think that's. And that was really the question is, is can you have healthy amounts of stress? Yeah. I mean, there's pressure to perform. We're never going to get out of that in sales. But there's differences in how organizations are run. Some where you look at the people on the team and they're all highly stressed. And others where it's like, you know, I worked for a CEO once who said, look, I never want to have an organization where people feel like, you know, every month there's a sword hanging over the back of their neck. Right. And yeah. by and large, was successful at that. So, Howard. Yeah, I would just say that. Look, um, people gener people have stress for a variety of different reasons. Um, some people actually 
are fueled by stress. That 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 fuels them. And I think salespeople, athletes, they 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 have that in adrenaline, the endorphin, that the rush from it. Um, you know, not all stress is bad stress. Uh, you know, if if you want to cause stress, push change. Change is equal to stress, and it, it, we as we grow, we create stress. As we make mistakes, we create stress. As we enter environments that are not completely familiar to us, it creates stress. It's the accumulation of stress without the recognition of it or the inability to take a break or to make a change that says, wait a minute, I've, I've hit my limit. I've recognized that I'm no longer responding to the stress, but I'm reacting to it. Mm-hmm. And my reaction causes additional stress. So it's being aware of your moment, your body, how you're feeling, when enough is too much. And it's usually once you recognize it, it's too late. So if you're even starting to think about the stress is too much, you've probably crossed the limit. So I, I don't think that you can create a sales environment or a competitive environment or a learning environment that is stress-free. I think that's Sure. unfortunately Pollyanna-ish, but right. you can recognize that stress is an important part of growth and change and that there are levels of stress. And the more you accept that you're going to go through stress and that it's how you deal with it, respond to it, how, how you react, that's going to make the difference. I mean, when you talk about Richard, like you thought you were going to leave everything behind and show up to work, right? And 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 you'd be stress free. Or the problem is, we bring ourselves wherever we are, and we are the problem. And so, if we don't deal with the problem, guess what? I'm at work, and I'm the problem. I'm at home, I'm the problem. I'm I can't escape me. I bring me wherever I am. And so, if you are the problem, and you are not dealing with you, the problem. Everywhere and everybody will create stress for you and you will create it in turn for them, which becomes a very toxic environment and not good for anybody. Well, is there a role in companies to help people in sales learn how to manage stress? I want to answer this. So I hope I'm not putting Howard on the spot on this one. Please. The challenge is, is that particularly in sales, I don't know about other departments, but, and I could see it being the same. Salespeople are promoted because they hit a number, they can handle objections, they can um, navigate a complex deal, right? They can handle rejection. Nowhere in there is there, hey, you know how to handle someone whose mother just passed away. Right? There's no management training. It never existed like maybe if you worked at a big company, right? If you did go work for the for the Amexes and the IBMs of the world way back when, there's no so, there's no soft skills training of management, of compassion and empathy and understanding what those words mean and how do you do it and how do you listen and how do you activate it and those kinds of things. So to me, it it falls at the highest level. It falls much higher at the executive level, the C level, to go. Are we teaching all of our leaders how to be leaders? Mm-hmm. Right. There's a uh, Kevin Dorsey. You know, there's a great quote Kevin Dorsey gave me a couple of weeks ago. There are there are tons of great leaders who are managers and there are tons of managers who are terrible leaders. And yeah. those are two very, very different things. So anyway, so I'm hoping over time that it becomes the next set of skills that that really needs to be taught at at. And I'm going to say the smaller orgs. I'm hoping the bigger orgs do it. I don't know where you guys fall in that world. So. Well, I'd love to weigh in on this because I think like I, have, I have the benefit of not only having education and training, but I also, you know, having had my own struggles and, and, and work through and continue like every one of us to, to try and be better and make mistakes and, and hit challenges and snags in the road. I bring that vulnerability to my team and, and I bring it to my leadership team. And I think that what we're talking about, in my opinion, is not just leadership. It has to do with coaching. And, you know, people think of sales leaders, they're not thinking of coaches. And what a coach does is it un- a coach understands 
their player, their team. They understand the individual and what motivates them. And so, yes, there's numbers and there's stressors. But if I make a connection with each person on my team and I understand what their motivations are, what their challenges are, if they feel like I'm there to help them, to support them, yes, it's to hit a number, but it's also to create a highly functioning team that's supportive of one another and understands each other and then is able to be there in the way that they can be there. So you have different team players that are excellent at certain skills. How, how do the world-class teams perform? They perform well together. They don't all do the exact same thing. They understand their strengths. They understand their weaknesses. They're focused on how to win as a team. And as sales organizations, if we f- start thinking about not just the rep hitting the number, but the whole team hits the number. As a sales leader, my team has to hit their number. Not, not, my, not me. It's not my number, it's my team's number. And my job is to make sure each one of them not just hits their number, but feels good and, and, and is working as a collaborative unit. That, that to me is, is how we lead, it's how we manage, and it better be an important part of how we coach. And teaching people how to manage is very different than teaching people how to coach. We need to invest more in coaching, and spending time understanding our individuals and developing that team structure. Well, I think that's the point perhaps Richard is making, is that companies don't invest in that, right? I mean, it's uh, we spend a lot of money every year in sales training. We spend comparatively very little training our frontline managers. And You'd be surprised how many don't spend money on sales training. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. But, yeah. I mean, just in general, the number it's a big number in aggregate. It's like $20 billion a year. Yeah. And how much do we spend... Yeah, and you may have heard me make the comment is we should spend 90% of that, just to Howard's point, is teaching managers and leaders how to coach. Because we know that coaching moves the needle in performance, but also to your other point, Howard, is it's, it's how you connect with someone. And we just presume we promote somebody. They have suddenly, by virtue of having the title, they have this knowledge and understanding of how to do these things. And they don't. They haven't been enabled to do it. And but that that is true of frontline managers. It's true of director level. It's true of VP level. Nobody is getting this training, and that's why it flows downhill. That no one, in my opinion, why no one lends any importance to it. Because yeah, I'm at the VP level and I didn't get that. So and then just it must not be important. I, I think there's some legal stuff around it too. I think there's like oh uh, you know if I have a conversation. Look, I'm in California, right? If I have a conversation about someone's health, what liability do I have now as their, as their employer, right? Like, I think there's a several pieces to that, right? Um, but I, and I do agree with you a thousand percent, Andy. It's like, I didn't do it, you know, heck with them, make them figure it out themselves. Tough love, right? Like yeah. tough love, but come on. I think I, for me, I, I just believe that there's economic incentive for sales leaders, for executives to invest in coaching. Because if you do a really great job coaching, you know what you're doing? You're mirroring how your salespeople should be selling, right? Because sure. they, they, they have to find that champion within the organization. They have to help coach them. They have to build that connection. These are the things that you're mirroring to your team that they're hopefully taking into their prospect and customer conversations that is really, that's not just about helping your, your, your team work through or your individual work through their challenge or issue. It's helping them to be a better person, better sales rep, and perform better. I, I'm telling yeah. you, like, some of the best salespeople I know, once you become a parent, sales has a whole new way, right, like doing things, right? <laughs> like, and, and I don't mean everybody, needs, you know, not everybody, if you don't want to be a parent, don't be. And it doesn't mean you have to, that it, that you can't be great at sales. But it definitely changes, right? Because we have to model the behavior we want our kids to use. If my kids see me flipping out, you know, at the Comcast guy on the phone because I've been on hold for an hour, guess what they're going to do, right? They're going to flip out because that's what dad did, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not saying I did, and I'm not saying I didn't do that. Um, so, sure. <laughs> so, but, it, but, but to your point, Howard, that's what makes them all better humans, right? And that's where bringing this... Mm-hmm all of ourselves to us to work and in the sales world and the leadership role really matter. And I, you know, I think the problem is I don't think the coaches know how to coach, right? No, they don't. 
They don't. But I mean, it's, we can yeah. address that. I, I always remember this quote from, as everybody knows, I'm a big soccer fan, and there's one of the Premier League teams in, in England was saying, yeah, when we bring new players into the organization, the first thing we do is we train the person before we train the player. And I just remember taking that and cutting and pasting it because, like, that's what we need to be doing, right? We don't do, we don't, we assume people come into sales with some sort of set of, of uh, skills and emotional intelligence and so on to be able to handle the job. What, what harm would it be when we're onboarding people to spend some time to invest in training people in some of these basics and, would, and be able to become more resilient to handle the ups and downs, the things that we just assume they serve no? And why do we assume they know? Because they, they don't. Yeah. Well, I also think that sometimes when we hire managers, we're, we're not looking for the right things. We're looking for people who have a, had experience in leading a sales team or being a leader or hitting a number. What we're not looking for is people who are coachable. Yes. Because if our coaches are going to coach, they also need to be incredibly coachable. Yep. And yep. Uh, you know, not to stereotype a sales leader or anything else, but that's not what most people interview for is like, how coachable is my sales leader? No, it's not. And, and you want to find people who just like any sport or any profession, they constantly want to improve in their game. And so you want to find people who want to be the best sales coaches in the world. And that means, you know, they have to listen to people like Richard or listen to people like Andy and spend time improving their game. And so we, we got to train them differently. We got to hire different people. We talk about hiring sales reps that are coachable. We got to hire the coaches that are coachable. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. It starts there. And it's not just, again, just in my perspective, it doesn't start with just the frontline managers. It's all the way up and down the chain of sales leadership. Yeah. It has to, and I think the key piece of this is retention, right? If you can do this, right, aside from hitting the goal, particularly in sales where retention is so, you know, there's such turnover, if you can bring in this human element sooner or better, um, I think it's going to solve the retention problem too, right? Which then is, you know, the other part of the revenue. We haven't even talked about it, right? But who wants to stay and work for that person? I think, I think we all, you know, if you've been in sales long enough, you've heard the study that people don't leave companies, they leave managers, right? Mm -hmm. They leave mm -hmm. leaders. And it, again, Andy, to your point, we can fix this. This is not, you know, you know this is not... A Rubik's cube, like we can actually move this around fairly easily. Well, but the will you has never to solve the Rubik's cube. No, but I, you know, I never did. But you know, it's all right. You, you know, you could take that darn thing apart, right? That, you just rip it, it apart. Yeah, yeah that, that there's more than one way to solve a Rubik's cube. Brute force. Yeah. So no, I, I agree. Well, I, I, I was just going to make a final point on that. I just think that it, it has to start at the very top, and. It, clearly, in my estimation, based on all the work I've done over the decades and just talking to people on this this podcast, it doesn't exist at the top. Let me. I'm going to ask you guys a blank slate, sure. a blank slate question. The two of you, you know, whatever you guys, you guys get bought out by big some company, and you still just want to keep working, and you guys decide to form a business together. How would you try to build this culture of coaching or supportive mental health? into the organization, right? How would you, you know, from, you know, granted, you know, you're going to hustle for the first year because that's just what it takes, but how do you build that in as a mantra? Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I don't need to start a new company. I, I feel like that's the company we're building at Ring DNA. It, it, we're a people first. So what have you guys done then? Then that's, that's what I want to do. Then what are those yeah. things that yeah, people Yeah, it, it's, it's a people first organization. We hire people for for cultural fit. We hire people who are okay with their CEO getting vulnerable at the all hands meeting and talking about personal issues. We, we, we're okay bringing up really uncomfortable issues, whether they're cultural issues and bringing those to the forefront. We create a safe environment for people to talk about depression and anxiety. We provide support services to those. We you know, we, we bring on a uh, head of our podcast um, a, as an executive member to talk about mental health related issues. We hire coaches um, amongst our sales team and other areas, people who have other mental health background. Um, those are the things that matter. And, and, you know, it's, there's not an easy fix, but 
you, you have to think about the people first. You create a healthy organization. Whatever you build is going to work because people want to work. They're, they're working for more than just a paycheck. They're working for a mission. They're working for values. They feel like they're a part of something bigger. And it's not just about letting themselves down or, or their boss down. It's about letting their entire organization down. And that's something they feel is a part of their family. So um, I think those are the important pieces. What would you do, Andy? What, or what, where do you feel like you, you, you know, to, to Howard's point about the, you know, we have our podcast guy coming in and talking about this, right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, you've been, you've well, been around the block. I've been around the block, yeah. And, and my motivation for starting the podcast in the first place was to try to change sales, right? To bring new perspectives to this business and this profession that we've been in, that I've been in forever, that I felt was sort of stuck, and this is to Howard's point exactly, as is, is he knows, and you probably know Richard too, is you know, a huge proponent of the human element of sales and how that's going to drive improved performance and productivity is, is what do we need to do to make that happen, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And it's one of the things we're really just short on in sales is, is we don't really understand how we improve individual performance, right? There are some people now starting companies talking about you know how do we how do we treat the the person holistically, right? From a sleep and a stress perspective and a skills perspective, you know all of this. You know mental health perspective is treat the whole person. Well, if, if the whole person is part of the equation, and we say all these parts are equal. Which parts of those do a, a manager have any insight into helping somebody with? Yeah, maybe the skills part, and that's it. And so. Yeah, you know, we're just not we're just not looking at it in a way that other organizations, especially again, not to fall back on the one I always talk about, but other organizations like sports organizations that are performance based, that are paying attention to this in a way that we're not in sales, and we are performance activity, and all those things have a big impact. So we just we need to look at it so differently than we are. And again, to my mind, the point I've made before is the resistance starts at the very top. It's people. At the sea level, said, "Well, yeah, we're not going. We're not going to spend money on that. Yeah, we're not going to spend money on training managers. Why? Why do we want to do that? Right? We're going to, you know, toss a bone at sales training, even though it's aggregates large number. But yeah, we all know the stories about how effective or ineffective it is. Yeah, there's almost no impetus for change. So it's, yeah, it'll change one company at a time, like Howard's trying to do with Ring DNA, and hopefully, people are inspired by the success and do something similar. Does that answer your question?" It does. I feel like I stole your show from you and, you know, turned the question back on you. So now I'm like, oh, I don't have another question. <laughs> well, that's, that's fine. It's happy. To, I'm happy to have it be the Richard Harris show. No, no, no. Yeah, I, I would just add as a final note, I think salespeople and, and whether this is self-serving or not, I think salespeople are a perfect parallel to people in the helping profession because you know, your job as a salesperson is to help craft a narrative and help people move towards a better version of themselves. And, and you know, if we, if we take that mindset, if we provide <clears throat> the training, the coaching to, to create situations and opportunities for salespeople to help and their goal is to help people with their buying process, to help people create a better, more effective company. Um, that will help the salesperson too, if that becomes something that's important to them. Because as I talked about earlier, by reaching out and being of service and helping others, it gives you a mission. It helps you feel better about yourself. And I think we're in we're we're in a really great position as salespeople, as sales leaders, to be helpful. And so um, there's a lot of hope for the sales profession because uh, we just need to reshape it a little bit to make sure people have that mindset. I agree, 100. percent Yeah, I, I Richard, any final comments? Yeah, I, I just you know piggybacking on on what Howard said is that I think we've you know this last year, not just in sales, but but I do see it in sales is you know there's a new baseline. Right. Uh, there's there's a VC I know and he's you know, he says he he looks at companies to invest in um, if they're double underlined, if there's a double underline. I'm like, what does that mean? It's like, one, does it actually solve a problem the world needs to have solved? 
right? In whatever industry. And do they do good in the world? And I remember when all this stuff happened in 2020 a year ago, and we were seeing all kinds of crazy things happen with employees and you know, how people were being laid off, the way that it was happening is, you know, we all said, a lot of us sat back and we said, you know what, people are going to remember that in a year or two years from now, right? How you treat someone is really important. And, and again, I think there's been this unique bubble of like the younger generation has come in saying, look, don't talk to me that way. The older generation's going, yeah, you know what? You're right. We never should have. Nobody, you know, I'll, I'll fix it. Like that's sort of where I am. And now this other piece has come in around the world and what's happened in the last two years to just sort of kind of make us all go, particularly in sales. You know, we're, we're always a free agent. I'm always a free agent, right? I don't have to, you know, I, I, if I worked in a place like Ring DNA, you know, the hope is the culture feels like the kind of culture I'd thrive in and would l- never want to leave, right? But as soon as something hits the fan, I'd be, you know, all right, who do I know? Who are my recruiters on speed dial? So... So anyway, so I think we're, I think we've got a new baseline, uh, which is nice. That's above what it used to be, <laughs> not below, but above the, the, the old version. So I think we're getting there too. All right. Richard, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Always good to see you guys. Always good to see you. Howard, always good to see you. And Richard, uh, people want to connect with you. What's the best way to do that? Yeah. Um, LinkedIn, you can always find me, Richard Harris. Um, my email is Richard at rharris415.com, Richard at rharris415.com. And this is the truth, 415-596-9149, 415-596-9149 is actually my cell phone number. Yes, you call, I will answer. Yes, if you text me, I will respond. And I give it out all the time because rarely does it ever happen. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a pretty safe bet these days. <laughs> and Howard, if people want to connect with you. Uh, find me at Ring, uh, LinkedIn or uh, ringdna.com. Um, I'm not going to give away my phone number because I had too many spam calls, but, but I'm, glad, I'm glad you're not getting it. I, I continue to try and get off the Zoom info list or all those lists, but it doesn't seem to work. Yeah, yeah I, I got that problem too, but you know, I'm in a different world, right? I, I do need to talk to you. Oh. So. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thanks, Richard. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, we're so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guests today, Richard Harris and Howard Brown, for sharing their insights with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, well, we'd appreciate that. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.